SMQBs, this is episode 120. So much to talk about tonight. U.S. Open, what a great tournament. Tom Watson takes on the PGA. So much going on in the NBA. We've got to talk about the draft. Uh, we have a champion to crown. We have a big trade already. NHL Stanley Cup champion is crowned. Punches galore this week. Uh, a really nice Ted Lasso moment and buzzer beaters buzzer beaters buzzer beaters leave us a five-star review thanks for listening see ya from the people climb up on the booth singing from the people on the people my head's the roof dancing on the ceiling on the people i got people on the dancing on the people i got people SMQB's episode 120. So much to talk about. But in the uh, initial, nobody asked you, Derek Walker, for your opinion segment, we do have. <laughs> hey, get your own shot, and then you can make, make a comment like that. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, brother. Uh, hey, the NBA draft is this week. Who can tell me who has the 20th pick? Hmm. In honor of episode 120, who has the 20th pick? So let's see. So Six. 15 teams made the 20th. No. So some, somewhere around a. Uh, that, Phoenix. Don't go that Phoenix. way. That's a, nope. No, somewhere around like a seven seed, like a six or seven seed. Yeah, that assumes it wasn't. Uh, wait a minute. Wait, the, well, the Rockets have about 20 picks, so I'm going to go so with the, the Rockets. Thunder. Good one. The Houston wow. Rockets from the LA Clippers. All right, follow up because everybody likes a trivia question. To start the, the pick, the, the segment off here. Who was drafted 20th last year? Ooh. Probably someone who's playing better than the people drafted two and three. I just had Ooh. to confirm that I'm out an NBA draft results website because I don't have any idea who this person is. Who is Spurs, it? who will have a much different draft fortune yeah. this year, drafted... Malachi Branham out of Ohio State. Malachi. And how about this? Because everybody loves trivia to start the podcast off. <laughs> Here are just some of the, the, the great players taken with the 20th pick in the draft. Um, Mike D'Antoni in 1973. Wow. Gus Williams in 75. Uh, Larry Nance in 1981. Well, that's a really good one. That might be the best one, actually. Uh, Buck Johnson in 86. He was good. Yeah. Gus uh, Williams Hubert, was good, too. Yep. Hubert Davis. Yeah, there you go. 92. Oh, man. Someone knows him. Zadrunas Ilgalskis in 96. He was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speedy Claxton in 2000. Played played with Magic, right? No. No, no, no. 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 He was the next best point guard after Magic to come out of there. Uh, Speedy Claxton came out of Hofstra. Yeah, no. Speedy, you're thinking of a different I thought he was at Michigan State. No. No, no. Uh, no. All right. right. Can we edit this whole section? Yeah. Yeah. Then you got uh, Toby, (laughs) you'll appreciate this. Jameer Nelson. Good. 2004. Um. I'm thinking of Mateen. Cleaves. 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 Yes. 
Karis Levert came out of Michigan in 2016, and and in 2019, it was Matisse Tybel. Love Matisse. So, Playing that's well, uh that's some trivia. 20, 20 is no guarantee to get a good player. No, it is not. So are we that is of, a lesson. Are we is with the show, are we one fifth of the of the way to a second tattoo or no? Oh. I mean, what are we doing when we get to 200? Brands having a bicentennial parade? Brands. Yeah, we're getting wow. brands. Brands. Um, all right. So look, um, We've got to talk about golf. It's the dominant story. Hope. We'll let you kick it off with the U.S. Open because we may have some disagreements as, as we work through some new developments here today. <laughs> about new developments, it's just an evolving concept of what really happened a, a couple of weeks ago uh, when Liv and PGA got together and decided to come up with with uh, whatever they're they're brewing but uh in in the interim uh golf continues so uh what we're talking about is a another phenomenal um major uh finish on sunday uh the la country club which hadn't hosted uh a, a major in years um was retrofitted for for this tournament and it was an interesting course a lot of angles, a lot of elevation changes, um, but the fairways were pretty wide, which kind of played, I think, into the ability for Wyndham to win because his driver wasn't hugely accurate, but he didn't hit uh, that many um, shots out of the fairway because it was so wide. But ultimately, Wyndham Clark, who is the body. Wait, I'm jumping in already. I'm calling, I'm calling bullshit on that. The fairways are wide, but they all slope like – yeah, and there's All trees. Over. There's trees right at right I didn't think, that you have to go over. I didn't think the the width was the issue of the fairways, right? I mean, it was. I actually thought his driver was pretty good. He was pretty accurate with his well, driver. Well, yeah, there were some holes, like especially eighteen. I mean, he he hit that ball most most major championship courses. That ball is buried in the second cut. Uh, he barely got it, you know, on on the right side of the fairway. So. But that yeah, course I mean, sets up for a cut shot, and he's got a wicked hard cut shot. No he doubt, it's a fade. He hits a really nice fade. No doubt, but his his claim to fame was uh, his ability, his short game, and you know, without that unbelievable up and down that he had uh, at eight, at nine, at eleven, um, at uh, at at what sixteen when he was in the fairway lying three. Or lion, uh, yeah, lion two, and he got up and down uh, from one twenty-five. I mean, every time you thought he would flinch, every time you thought that somebody of of his uh, experience level, and and you remember, guys. I mean, I looked this up. His his record in the majors going oh, yeah. back, not good. Only five majors. Uh, he last time he was in the major PGA Championship at Oak Hill this year, he was plus eight, missed the cut last year. Uh, the Open Championship, he was plus one, T76, missed the cut at the U.S. Open. In 21, he missed the cut at the U.S. Open. He was uh, PGA Tournament, PGA Championship in 21, he was plus 10, T75. In 2020, PGA plus four, T105. This guy had never been in the top 75 of a major, and there he is, 
facing down, you know, Roy McElroy, who was playing, uh, you know, incredible golf, uh, wasn't able to get a putt to go down. But, you know, Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world. I mean, he stared those guys down. Ricky Fowler, you know, we could talk about him, but he just it wasn't his day. Uh, it's just add to the litany of close calls for Ricky at majors, but he can't he can't close. Uh, his record with 54 hole lead is uh, two out of 10 now. Um, and so, you know, I, ultimately it came down to Wyndham Clark was able to do the things that the top players in the world weren't. He was able to make pars when he needed them. He had a key birdie uh, on 14. With, you know, he said probably the shot of the tournament for him was that five wood from the fairway. Uh, that he put there, right? Just that really thin 10 yards about landing area on the neck. And then he had that Eagle putt barely missed, but he had a tap in birdie Rory's downfall was, and he got a huge break guys on, on 14. He got a huge break uh, when the ball embedded in the bunker yet. He was able to, you know, pull it out because it was embedded. He got a drop. It wasn't the worst lie. He should have got up and down. If he gets up and down, then we're probably looking at a playoff. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's another nine-year uh, drought for uh, Rory continues uh, in, you know, Hoy Lake, where he last won uh, a, a major, is where we're headed next. So maybe he can end it there. But um, when did Clark hook up with his current caddy? Because that seemed like a very interesting and beneficial relationship to him. You know, I, I think, don't know. I think they've been they've been buddies um, for like forever. Well, that guy's a tour pro or was. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we'll ever see something like that again. Someone who's played in two U.S. Opens and ended up, first of all, it takes a certain humility to say, I'm going from being a tour pro who's played in a major to carrying someone's bag. I was pretty impressed with that. And he just, he's, anytime they mic those guys up, he said all the right things to keep him in the groove. Um, I, be an athlete. I, be an athlete. <laughs> I think this tournament uh, was decided on Saturday on the 18th oh. hole. Oh. I think that's, yep. That is when the Dollar. when Ricky missed that bunny yeah. uh, to stay at 11, minus 11, and have to end his third round with a really disappointing, just bad, bad ending. And Wyndham Clark dug down deep to make a heck of a birdie because yeah. I think everybody suspected Hit that the the, everybody thought at the end that it was going to be this dream final twosome of Ricky versus Rory for the U.S. Open. And you could see how bad Wyndham Clark wanted it. And that changed everything. Wyndham Clark went into Sunday with huge momentum and confidence. And Ricky went into Sunday deflated that he couldn't make a gimme. Yeah. You know, Ricky- By the way, just, just, to, just to complete the circle on the caddy, the guy's name is... Um, John, uh, right? John Ellis, I yeah. think he is a, uh, 2008 Canadian tour player of the year. He won three Canadian tour tournaments after he finished as a pro. Uh, he went to, uh, Oregon university of Oregon, where he was an assistant coach. He also played there and that's where he met, uh, Clark. Wind and up. so, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been his caddy for some time. He's been, I think he's more than his caddy though. I mean, the, the announcers were saying. Clark doesn't have a swing coach. Right. It's just him and Ellis. Just Dirty. the two of them. Yep. Yep. Well, and you know, Ricky, uh, I mean, he, he obviously took the loss, um, 
with with great you know character as he as he is but he did say on 18 on saturday that it was too dark that he had a he had a problem reading that pot well he's wearing um, sunglasses though <laughs> right that's also true Take sunglasses off well but you know a little milk slap and well Wyndham clark said on 16 that it was starting it was hard for them to see the ball starting on 16 on saturday so mm-hmm. i'm going to give a little milk slap to the pga or actually usga for uh running the uh the final um pairing so late on saturday just to appease you know primetime eastern time zone i mean they had obviously plenty of time to get that damn entire group through I mean, on saturday three they feet. shouldn't have been playing they shouldn't have been playing golf in the near darkness on for a major championship it was a self-inflicted error they didn't need to do it and, and as, as evidenced by sunday when they started tea times an hour earlier i mean they'd well, already planned on it but i mean three it was about a three-footer he missed yeah i think 85 percent of tour players make that with their eyes closed right i mean how many how much sunlight do you need I'm, I, I'm not necessarily know. making an excuse for Ricky. I'm just saying that's not the way that you want to have your your major championship finish up on a Saturday afternoon in the near dark. So, so I have I, I have three. Go ahead. I, I just following up on that milk slap. I'm I'm hoping you'll close the fingers to a whole punch because I don't know if you were following that whole story with what the combination of USGA and LACC did with the yes. of the tickets and really depriving what would have been a full throttled gallery of being able to attend a major because they 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 only released a certain number of general admission tickets reserved so many for the corporate tickets and of the general admission the club bought up so many of them for themselves right and there was like five thousand regular people that could go each day that is bad that's really i mean the grandstands were were largely empty for, for a good chunk of the tournament, you know, especially the, the grandstands around the 18th until the, they, they were empty for a lot of the tournament. Yeah. I, I, that was a bad look. It was bad. Rooster. Some, you, you, some of the players complained about it. Sorry, Rooster. I just said three pieces of advice for Ricky. Cause I like him and I want him to win. Number one, when it gets dark outside, take your sunglasses <laughs> off. Number two, eat a fucking cheeseburger. And number three, maybe on Sunday you should ditch the orange clothes. Yeah. It's not working, bro. Yeah, it is That's not right. working. That's it right. It is not working. I agree. And and I guess to come full circle, if since we've done a milk slap, a punch, uh, we we have a little lasso too moment because Wyndham Clark obviously and and you know Chris has it, so maybe I'll let him talk about it. But his uh, uh, virtual background has has the emotion that you saw after he won and and time he was thinking about his mother chris talk talk about that well i mean he, you know his his mom died his mom was a, was a golf instructor uh and really brought him into the game and and you know was his sort of uh uh you know not only his coach but his his rock to lean on i guess and and she died of breast cancer while he was enrolling at um was it Oklahoma? Is that is that where he was? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, right? And you know, when she passed, he really sort of fell apart uh, by his own admission. I mean, he was sort of an asshole. He was, you know, he's talking about boozing and driving his car as fast as possible, and really just and did not handle it. Yeah, angry, didn't handle it well. I mean, understandably, of course. And this is all by his own, you know, by his own uh, admission and, and recounting what he went through, and you know, he finally left Oklahoma State, transferred to Oregon, 
Um, and, you know, there there was a comment yesterday we were joking about it. Someone said that he's got the talent. He just hasn't been able to get out of his own way. Well, he joined the tour in 2019 and has over $11 million in winning. So, you know, I, I jokingly said I wish I had gotten in my own way to that effect, too. But more more so than any of that stuff, it's it's not the question wasn't him getting in his own way. It's just overcoming uh, the emotion of all that. And and the emotion did pour out of him. Um, you know, this happened. She passed several years ago. But I think the connection to the game and the way that he had to really fight through all the emotion, you know, it would have been easy for him to quit golf, right? You could say that was something he did with his mom. She passed. It didn't work out. It would have been very easy to see this guy never pick up clubs again. And instead, he went the other way and he stuck with it and he figured it out. Uh, and, you know, you, you got to think, you got to think that some of that perspective, and I think he even used that word, helped him down the stretch and staying focused. And, uh, you know, you just, I'm sure he's not sitting there thinking, well, I've been through tougher things than this before, but, you know, it does make you tough minded when you have, when you go through struggles and adversity. Uh, and so the story, but the emotion really did just come pouring out when he tapped in to win it. Hope Alan, you you could see him look to the sky after he had cozied up, uh, put on 18 uh, before he tapped out. You know, he looked up to the sky before uh, Ricky putted. He was on Flapple. It was a great story. My question to you, Pope, about this this great story is, is it a one-hit wonder? Is he a Sean McKeel? Is he, uh, you know, a Hamilton? Is he, are we going to see him win another major? Pope. Oh, we lost Pope, or he's just stumped with it. Yeah, yeah. I've he's never, frozen. Pope never is frozen. Pope is frozen. Well, what, what's your take, guys? Before he comes back, what, is, what do you what do you think? This well, I'm back. Papal Wireless I, is having some issues. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're all our, it, our whole fans are waiting with bated breath on your answer. Yeah. Uh, he's not. Oh, he's frozen again. He's frozen again. Oh boy. Well, I think um, I think I think he's likely to win another. I mean, I, I you can't play that well. And and be a fluke. I mean, others who have won tournaments, with bad weather or whatever, and close scores, and uh, you know, I, this guy just looked too solid to me. He's a machine if his head is straight. I, I think it's it's really hard to win a major, right? I mean, look at the guys. You know, it's funny because the story is this guy Wyndham Clark who wins it, but look at who was knocking on the door, right? I mean, everybody was was in there. You've got Rory, Scotty, Cam Smith, Tommy Fleetwood, Minwoo Lee, okay, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim, who's going to be a superstar by all accounts, uh, Harris English, Austin Eckrote, okay, uh, and then John Rahm and, and Xander and DJ. Those are your top 10, right? So, I mean, gosh, the, the cream really does rise to the top. It, it's really amazing when you think about that he came through that and none of those guys, Rom made a run on yesterday a little bit. He had a, he had a good round. He was just too far back to, to be relevant really. But um, I think it would be pretty surprising if he won another major, just because it's, it's, there's only a couple guys who win multiple majors. You know, it's, it's not, I, I, there's only, you know, you gotta be really in that top five, top 10 of the world to crank those things out. They're hard to win. 
Yeah, that's that's there's there's a lot of truth in that. I I do think he'll have a successful career. I mean, he already yeah. has. Sure, when, sure. He's won some important tournaments, like the Wells Fargo. Isn't that the one that got Rory started as well? Yeah, he did win the Wells Fargo. He's won two of his last four now. Yep. So uh, it was a look. It was a fun tournament. It was it was a great tournament. Um, it was you know it was a lot of fun to watch. It had a good story. Um, you know, I think that I, I really hope we can get Pope in on this though, because I, I do think we have to spend just a minute on the Tom Watson, uh, letter that came out a, a little bit ago. Uh, I think it just came out, at least it just sort of hit the social media sites and everything. And you have one of the real, um, you know, the, the stalwarts of the game, uh, who's come out and said, boy, PGA tour you got a lot of explaining to do, uh, more or less. Right. And, and, you know, use the word of, hypocrisy at least he, three times he did. And, 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 you know, he, he tried to be diplomatic in saying they had a hard job to do. Uh, you know, he, he knew Monahan and he knows how hard the guy works and cares, but right. <laughs> but, uh, and it was pretty, it was pretty tough. Uh, coming from Tom Watson, that's that's something that means a lot. And by the way, we still haven't heard from Tiger, as far as I can tell, on on the whole deal. Um, I think that that was a pretty tough letter, Pope. I hope you I hope you're there. Um, and, and I'm here. Can you hear it. me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Um, you know, I don't know how long the the papal wireless uh, here in the retirement village in in Georgia is just not uh, up to snuff. Well, don't retire on us um, on us yet, Pope. We need you. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, it, it, that was a scathing letter, uh, but uh, Tom has questions that we've all had. How, how is it? How is this going to look? I mean, and the and the the lack of transparency, which of course, uh, when you got a, a member of the PGA Tour board on the a player who's not even brought in uh, on in the loop. So, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of questions. Maybe I'm just, I'm not willing to boycott the PGA like y'all are. That's maybe that's the bottom line. So look, Tom Watson comes from a generation of folks whose parents or even older siblings fought in World War II. And he mentioned D-Day in that letter. How ironic it was this happened on D-Day. Yep. And the fact that a foreign country in, in, invaded us and bombed 9-11 hits people like him hard you know he's a very patriotic guy and i just love the way he concluded that letter with how do i look fam tell explain to me how i look families of 9-11 victims in the eye and tell them this is okay that's a tough task ahead for monahan yeah and and, and apparently he listens to the pod because he asked the same question that we asked one week ago which is is this the only viable financial plan to rescue the tour from its financial problems like that that's what we asked wasn't there some other financial solution other than this one right that's the question that i want answered was there a plan b and if not then well the whole thing was a ruse all along to say it was non-negotiable to, yeah. to talk to the saudis yep well we just had to mention that uh i, I think we want to move on we got a lot of things we want to talk about uh but again it, the, the the open was great uh, it was a welcome distraction on, on golf is to actually watch some good golf and have a great outcome like that. Uh, but back to reality and, and the PGA has a lot of, uh, a lot to work out here. 
And I know there's at least a couple guys on here who maybe will go out outside and swing the clubs instead of sitting home to watch other people do it uh, for the next couple of weeks. So with that, Hey rooster, uh, we crowned an NBA champion since our last pod. Let's talk a little, little hoops. Yeah, we sure did. Before we get to the champs, let, let, let me just congratulate the Eastern conference winners of the Miami heat. They, they had a, you know, above average year, but not a great year. They had a 44 and 38 record and had to, come into the playoffs through the play-ins. They lost their first play-in game to the Hawks and then beat the Bulls and then proceeded to march through the strongest teams in, you know, uh, I'd say three of the five strongest teams in basketball. They beat the Bucks four to one, the Knicks four to two, and the Celtics four to three. Um, I would put the probably the Sixers in front of the Knicks in terms of strongest teams in basketball in that category three out of five, but still impressive March. And then they just came face to face with undoubtedly the best team in the NBA this year, the Denver Nuggets. Um, The Denver Nuggets were charter members of the ABA in like 1967, I think it was. And after the merger with the NBA in 76, there were four surviving ABA teams and the Nuggets are the last of the four to win a championship. So hmm. tw- 27 years later, they win their first championship. Um, but they had a hell of a year. They had a 53 and 29 year first in the West and um, game seven, you know, we've all watched it. We don't need to recap it this late after it happened, but man, it was a slug fest. Um, and the interesting thing is we had been talking on this pod about Jokic and Murray and then how, you know, if it, it, when Gordon and Porter Jr. show up, they're pretty unstoppable. It was KCP and, and Brown who iced it for them at the end of the game with steals and really clutch free throws. So they are a solid team. They've got the two Browns, B-R-O-W-N and B-R-A-U-N, uh, who are playing great. And KCP played great at the end of that game and throughout the playoffs uh, they're ready to roll it back. I think to to run it back next year with that with that squad. Uh, they're, they're a really good team, and um, going to be tough to beat next year. What do you guys think about next year? Think they're a fluke, or are they the the team to beat? Well, they they, they have the they have the uh, the the absolute best player in the NBA, yep. uh, and that helps, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's nice to fall back on, right? Yep. But he can't do it alone. When Jamal Murray's hurt, they're they're not the same team. That's right. definitely true. That's de- definitely, definitely true. But when, when Jamal Murray is healthy, you have the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world in Jokic. I hate to confess. Uh, Some would say the real MVP. He's the real playoff MVP. <laughs> and I think we learned that notwithstanding his obsession with the Lakers, Mike Malone is a hell of a coach. I mean, I wish he would stop talking about the Lakers, but he is a hell of a coach. And he, he, look, you know, we joked on our, on our text about, you know, this Mickey Mouse championship ring because Rooster just went through the incredible parade of teams that the Heat went through. Well, it's the complete opposite of what, what the Nuggets went through. I mean, they almost could not have gone through a worse set of teams on their way to the championship. You have those there in front of you, Rooster? T-Wolves. 
beat them four to one. The Suns four to two, and the Lakers they swept, and then the Heat four to one. Okay, and I I think you had uh, a hurt Suns team, a, a really aging Lakers team. Now I I you know I was having this debate with my kids. The one thing you will say you can say about Jokic is that Jokic went up against some pretty tough centers. I mean, he went up, he went up against Carl Anthony Towns. He went up against Anthony Davis. And, you know, he went up against a, a very talented Eight, Suns eight on the Suns. And so, bam. I mean, you, you got to give them the flowers. They, they really, I think they'll be back. I think there's no reason to expect that they'll take a step back. I think until someone knocks them off, certainly in the West, they're, they're the prohibitive favorites in the West. You don't so, think the big three in Phoenix? <laughs> well, yeah. we can talk about that. Be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, Not I mean, well, well, let's ask Bison. He's he's followed Bradley Beal. Are they getting the Bradley Beal who used to drop 35 pretty consistently or the guy from the last year or two? Well, here's the thing. Um, a lot of thoughts on this. Beal, Beal's a good player. You know, by all accounts, he seems to be a good teammate, a good guy in the community. Um, you know, I think he's been with the was with the Wizards nine years or something. He's still pretty young, but for the, to be in the league that long, I mean, he came in at like twenty one. Um, I I don't like this trade for anybody. Okay, I don't I don't like it for anybody. Um, I don't think that Beal Beal and and Durant's personalities confuse me. I don't get them. Um, and, and Beal, you know, Beal was never going to be the guy. He's never going to be the guy, but I think he thinks he's the guy. And I think that, that people in Washington told him he was the guy for a long time. Um, you know, our owner in DC is a pretty good owner where he makes a lot of mistakes is he's very loyal to players uh, which is a good thing. I mean, we, th- that's not a bad thing, but it can it can go into a bad thing. Wasn't wasn't John Wall the guy though for a little while there, and Beal was pretty comfortable yeah. as the second guy. He, well, you know that there was a lot of questions about how they could coexist all the time. So you know you've got you know you've got I I don't know I I just think he's it's just a strange situation and and then the contract that he had in DC the two hundred fifty million five years. With a fucking no trade clause, the yeah. only one, the only one in the, the NBA. only one in the NBA. I mean, it really and, created and he still a situation. Has it too, by the way, he still has it, right? I, I don't know. I don't like the trade for anybody. Um, the only thing I will say for Washington is you have completely new ownership. I'm not ownership, but you have new front office regime in there, and and they said, you know, what should have happened a year ago. They said we got to if we're we're gonna burn this thing down and start over. Tank for Wemby a year ago. Well, that's that's what everybody in DC is saying is what the hell. But this is why people got fired and and new people are in. And give these guys credit. You know they they had no control because of the no trade clause. They had to get rid of the salary. They did that. We'll see what happens with Chris Paul coming over. You know a lot. He of will not wear a blizzard uniform. Well, there's a possibility that he does for the first couple yeah. months and then gets moved. Get his trade we'll value see, but, up. But he's not going to be there long term, that's for sure. But, but Bison, uh, you, you, what I'm trying to get at is you seem to think you seem to think that Beal is a decent guy. He's, he's got a good character. He's a good teammate. 
nothing to say otherwise. Yeah. Right. So to me, the, 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 the trade works for the Suns. If Beal is mature enough to decide, you know what? I need to win now. I need to win some championships. I've got enough money. And in order to do that, I need to be an off, off the ball shooter for the first time in my career. Can he do that? No, no. Yeah. You know, that's say no. You know, what's worse than, than having three alphas on a team, having three wannabe alphas on a team. And, and I think that's a little bit of what Beal is. Uh, I think he wants the aura uh, of being the guy and look, he's a scorer. I mean, he can score. Um, but so do, does Durant. So mm-hmm. does uh, Booker. Right? I, I, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. He's not Ray Allen, where he's going to move around the three point line and train threes. What like what about James Harden? He sort of changed his game later in his career. Well, now, that's that, this. How'd that work out for the Sixers? I, well, it could have worked out. It's to be determined still. I mean, this is the thing that a lot of people were saying with this year, notwithstanding the injuries of Murray, this is like year five of the Jokic and Murray, you know, one-two experiment. We've been in one year one of Embiid and Harden. I I just think that if we can't, you can't have a situation where Durant scores 30, Booker scores 30, and Beal scores 30. So the question is, who is going to be willing to step back? I don't. There's no way it's Booker. There's no way it's Booker. Shouldn't Booker, be Booker. It shouldn't be Booker. He's a pure scorer. It's not KD. And Beal's a slasher. I just think this is going to come down to. It's so interesting that you say this, Bison, about their personalities. Because if their personalities mesh, and you may be right that they can't, but if Durant and Beal can mature and say, "Look, we got a good thing with three outstanding players. Let's figure out how to how to work this out." This is coming down to Frank Fushell. You know the the how Vogel, however Vogel, Vogel. Vogel. Yeah. Vogel. This comes down to him, his ability to to connect these guys. But I just, I agree with you. I hate this trade for both teams. I hate it more for the Wizards. Um, I I don't really understand. It was Rui for a bag of chips, and I think Rui can really play. And I think it's Beal for a bag of chips. And here's the issue: if it's really a no trade clause. Then you say, sorry, Beal, if you really are refusing, and which apparently he did, refuse the Bucks, the Heat, and the Kings, sorry. Then you're staying here until we get better because this is not enough value for our team. But he, he but wasn't they, forcing they the trade. to pay that huge salary, though, while they're trying he to rebuild. Yeah, he wasn't forcing the trade. This wasn't a situation where Beal said, I want out of Washington. This was new front office coming in and saying, we got to get rid of him. We but need to get rid of that, that salary. Okay, but was there a calendar issue that this had to be done by a certain date? Otherwise, money kicks in. Like, why did that? They... I don't know the answer to that. I don't. That's know the a big answer. one because if if there wasn't a calendar issue, I blame the Wizards for pulling the trigger too fast. I think they could have pumped up the well, volume. Well, you know, they wanted to do it before the draft because that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Everybody, but they didn't yeah, get a first round pick. Yeah. Well, look, hey. this. I mean, th- th- this this was going to go badly the day he signed that contract. A year ago, yeah, that's that's the reality. Million, yeah, ridiculous. Hey, so so House mentioned Vogel. Let me just read off the new the new coaches in the league. In the last two years, nineteen out of thirty teams have switched coaches, and wow. like it doesn't really wow. work out all the time. That's crazy. The Raptors just hired Darko Rajokovic, who was the Memphis assistant. Houston got Ime Udoka, who was the former Celts. 
assistant. Philly got Nick Nurse, former Raptors co- head coach. Detroit got Monty Williams, former Suns head coach. Milwaukee uh, signed Adrian Griffin, and I will confess I don't even know who that is. He's a Raptors assistant. Okay, and then Phoenix uh, signed Frank Vogel. Who do you think? Who do you think is the best fit on the new team, and is going to make the biggest impact? So when I when I looked at this, I actually thought that the the biggest impact was none of the above. It was two assistants that got hired because also kind of below the radar, two assistants that apparently could have gotten head coaching jobs were Sam Cassell of the Sixers and Charles Lee of the Bucks. And both of them were hired to be assistants to your numb nut. Yeah, for the Celtics. (laughs) That's right. I I think that's going to be really, really big. Yeah, totally. Yep. But besides those guys, I I think I I would like to see that Nick Nurse or Monty Williams are the best fits for their team. Monty can coach up young kids, and Detroit's got a hell of a young, very talented team. They're just young, and Nick Nurse, uh, I think he's a heck heck of a coach. I have no idea why the Raptors lost, you know, let go of him. I, I agree with that. I also think Ime Udoka is a very talented coach, especially with younger players who need a little structure. And Houston is just loaded with first-round draft picks, and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Well, we got to talk draft too, right? Um, you know, we, we we got the draft Thursday night this week, right? Yep. Draft yep. And- Thursday night. And, uh, and I, Toby, I, go ahead. You got it all teed up there. I, I'm surprised. I know there's obviously been a lot of talk. I'm surprised there's not been more talk about really yes. a LeBron-type player entering the NBA, a generational player. Uh, the guy is seven foot five, and he can drive. He can dribble up the floor. He can shoot from three. He can dunk. He can block shots. Victor Wembanyama, when he's faced it, when he's faced Chet Holmgren, who's faced real international talent. And let's face it, the last three MVPs in the league came from international. Embiid and Jokic, I mean, and Luka. I mean, that's where... And Giannis. Giannis, that's where the game is today. And Wembyama is is just is eating it up. And so, how awesome is it that he's going to the exact opposite of what we were just talking about with the coaching carousel? He's going to one of the greatest coaches of all time who's been... And on one team for decades, Popovich. I mean, yep. I don't know that right? Pop, Pop will stay through his whole career, but you've got a guy who has coached two of the best centers of all time in David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Like, I think we know that Pop knows how to coach a center. So this Spurs team could get good really, really fast. But, you know, I look back, I know we we looked at this last year when we looked at the NBA draft. We looked at drafts before and boy, if you guys were to look at the 2020 draft versus the 2021 draft, it's like the 2020 is like Anthony Edwards and then a bunch of no names. Well, I, you can't say that about LaMelo Ball. It's interesting about injury issue. But you get down to like eight and Obi Toppin before there's anybody else is really doing anything meaningful in the NBA. The, the, the cupboard was bare in 2020. 2021, you've got guys like Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes. Uh, Jalen Suggs, Josh Giddy, uh, Davion Mitchell, who are all making like serious, serious. So I think what'll be interesting about this year 
is what type of draft class do we have? And except for NBA, NBA insiders who've been studying not just the college game, but the international game and the G League game, the answer is we don't really know. I mean, all of the all of the draft projections, half of the lottery picks at least are G League players. So the number two pick is likely to be Scoot Henderson to Charlotte, um, who who looks who looks great. Ooh, but- over Brandon Miller, huh? Brandon yeah, Miller. Yeah. He's dropping all the mocks. All the mocks I'm seeing are still Brandon Miller at two. I don't mm, think so. I think Charlotte's I think, gonna, so. I think Charlotte's gonna go with Scoot Henderson. That that's the latest. I think I think Brandon Miller's likely to slot in at number four with Houston, which if that's the case, would be unbelievable for Houston. I think Miller's got huge, huge upside. Um, you know. Other college players that we're familiar with that we saw a lot of are, are Cam Whitmore from Nova, a one-and-done guy who's thought to go around four or five, maybe go five to Detroit. Uh, Jarris Walker, really talented forward for Houston, who's thought to go around seven uh, or eight, maybe to Indiana or Washington. <clears throat> and then Anthony Black. Anthony Black uh, from Arkansas to maybe at 10 to Dallas. Uh, great I think he hit. ends up in Washington, although some of that depends on the next couple of days. But yeah, so I, you know, look, we could talk through a bunch of names. The reality is the Thompson twins, the Thompson twins. No one's really going to know for a few years. I think everything about this draft is: does Victor Wembanyama turn into Tim Duncan? Tim Duncan, or does he turn into Greg Oden? And you know. Uh, you you never know with seven foot five guys. The whole question it's all about the feet. It's all well, about listen, we were having this conversation last year about Chet Holmgren, right? And and he what happened? He hurt his foot before he ever He's played not in played a yet. even a even we a summer game. Right? We called that. Yeah, I'm really well, curious. I'm really interested to see how Jordan Hawkins from UConn plays as a pro. I think he's smooth. He's well, got, got a huge upside. I think the other thing that's really interesting about this draft and, and House, you alluded to it, is all the G League players um, coming in. You know, the, the the top 15, I don't know, a third of them are G League guys, prediction, right. predicted at least. I mean, that's that's new. That's, uh, you know, that's that's different. We haven't seen that before. I don't I don't think. And Not- you're going to see more of it. The number one player. In Amen. College. Amen. Left, left yeah. Texas and went to uh, and went to the G League play for the Ignite. You're gonna yeah. see more and more of that. So I think that which makes that's it hard. To, it makes it hard to to figure out what the draft's going to be. It it, may, it certainly makes it hard for for folks who aren't like total gym rats watching every second of film. It's not so fun for the pundits like us. But I I I don't. It'll be interesting. Now we're going to see in the future a uh, competition between NIL money. How much can you, how much can you get in NIL money to be a one and doneer in NCAA versus what you can do in the G league? I mean, that's where the battle, that's where the battle lines are drawn. Yeah. And is that the thing is, is the G league there because you can't go straight from high school anymore? Correct. Is that the whole, the whole issue where that yeah. came from? And before the NIL, there was some money too. Right. So All right. Well, see. anybody want to make predictions for their team? 
who they take. Balin, who who do you think the Celtics or the Knicks? I can't remember. The Knicks. The Knicks. Ah. Knicks have nothing in the top twenty or so. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'm curious to see who the Mavericks take with the pick they stole from the Knicks. Yeah, I really hope we don't take Dick. He's a great three point shooter. I'm anti Dick. Yeah. <laughs> who do you think you're taking, Dick? I I worry about that. Um, I I like Anthony Black from Arkansas. I think do you do you actually worry about that? Do you like lay awake at night worrying? Is that I do. Is that you do I actually do about yeah. Dick. You worry about Dick. Worried about it. Yes. Huh. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. You can see a doctor about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Black's going to be around. I don't either. By the tenth pick. Which, no, I think which Washington means I, I, I've said it from day one. I think it's a pawn. I think we're moving. We're moving that pick, but I don't know what the package looks like yet. Yeah, but I, I think I think we're going to try to you know get somebody to come in and and play with Luca, and it's not going to be a draft pick. Well, think, we'll find out. Yeah. Anything else on on NBA? Good luck to all your teams. All right, so we have to at least acknowledge, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights on hoisting the Stanley Cup. The second time that the Stanley Cup has been skated around the Las Vegas rink, the first time by the home team. Uh, and really, they, <laughs> they sort of put on a clinic um, in the, in the uh, Stanley Cup finals. Uh, it was... I don't. Do you guys remember a, a clinching cup clinching win that was nine goal win? Un- unfortunately, the Flyers uh, got swept by the Detroit Red Wings and lost Game Four at home, eight nothing. And I was there. So, oh, oh uh, ouch! Yeah, Whoa. I Ben. I kept my wife kept saying to me like, like, have you ever seen anything this bad? I was like, unfortunately, we have the Flyers, but, yeah, but this, yeah. this was this was like a demolition. There's some, you know, it's you joke about it's the second time the cup has been skated around in that arena. But how about the fact that I was definitely serious about that? No, well, all right. <laughs> but it's the, it's the second well, it's true. time that a cup series has been played in six in Vegas of yeah. a franchise. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And the, the, you know, I saw a thing that said one of their star players that led the entire NHL in points this guy, Jack Eichel, that they got from the Sabres when the Sabres didn't treat him as well as he wanted to be. And now he's a superstar for the for the uh, Vegas. The Buffalo came in the league in 1970 as an expansion team. They've never won a cup, and they had the longest playoff drought in the NHL at 12 years. Vegas has been in the league six years, and they already have, have played in two cups that have won one. Well, we, we don't have time to, to talk to get too much into this, but just something to leave leave our listeners with. Look at that franchise in Vegas juxtaposed against the Raiders, where the Raiders have had, you know, drama after drama after drama, uh, guys in jail, get coaches fired. I mean, just really a lot of problems in Vegas. And then you've got the Golden Knights, who all they've done has been professional and and play in two finals. Uh, it, it's it's interesting to look at those two, especially with the what seems like the Oakland A's moving there uh, yep. as a baseball team. So just something to think about. Uh, look, out, look out for the Kraken. 
Yeah, congrats to the Golden Knights. Uh, worthy champions, of course. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Cool J with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Pope, you got a punchable face this week. You got to do it. Look, you guys are forcing me into <laughs> a punch that I'm not going to completely take. Wow. What? Right, oh. because because I did a little research. Oh, oh boy. And and I actually was here in Atlanta uh, with my dad watching and my mom watching this game and watching the Michael Harris show and watching his father out in the uh, stands as he was wrecking havoc with Colorado pitching, including a, mo- a mammoth home run. But it all starts with, and I'll give him a milk slap for this, Charlie Culberson, who's a journeyman, got called up, has not played for the Braves since he got called up in May. His dad was selected to throw out the first pitch for Father's Day uh, at at, uh, Atlanta Stadium. And right before um, the game, DFA'd. Uh, You guys know what DFA'd means? Designated for assignment. Free agent. I just wanted to make sure. Yes, designated for assignment. Uh, because they had to bring up an extra catcher because one of their catchers was injured on the roster. And so, you know, this journeyman who was uh, hadn't played uh, was sent back to the minors, which would, wouldn't be a big deal. He's frozen. Wouldn't be a big deal except for the fact that they had asked his dad to his throw dad out the first pitch. Was deprived of. Right. But, but. What, what they did was they made up for it by having Michael Harris, uh, the second's father. And, and Michael Harris was a reigning rookie of the year from last year. And he, they had his father throw out the first pitch. And then as a result of that, you know, I don't know whether it inspired him or not, but he went five for five and he had a, a great, great game, three RBIs, big Wait, home run. They made it up to who? They made it up to themselves. They made it up to themselves. <laughs> yeah, not, not to the player and dad who got screwed. Look, yeah. look, if if you if you're if you're called up and you don't even play and you're sent back, you can't well, really complain. Then don't pick the guy's father to throw out the first pitch on Father's Day. That's right. that's bad planning. Milk could slap. They, could they could they have waited a day to send the guy down? Milk slap and a mini lasso. Did the catcher Michael they Harris. called up even get in the game? No, there is no, no they had to have him on. A, they had to have him on a roster. There is no lasso about this. That was a great story. This is all. Yeah, boo. This is all. Well, look, you guys boo. put me in that position. What did you expect me to do? Punch boo. him. Punch him. Deliver a knock. Since you're now a Rangers fan, we expect you to to yeah. be a journalist here. <laughs> all right, we got a couple other. We got a couple other punches we got to throw this week. Anybody else have one? Who else are you punching? Well, I think we got to we got to punch uh, Huggy Bear. Oh, oh yeah. God! Oh, so boy. obvious. Yeah. Uh, Adios. The, the former uh, coach uh, of the West Virginia Mountaineers, right? Um, who's who's now retired and done. He had a really bad month where he <laughs> uh, issued a uh, inappropriate slur on a radio show. Tried to back out of that. And then two weeks later, was arrested for a DUI with a uh, fairly benign 
two, uh, right? Um, where where did this happen? Was it in West Pittsburgh. Virginia? That yeah, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. He told the police he thought he was in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, because of it's okay to and drive. He had, with a, with, he, had you know, he had a garbage bag of beer cans in his trunk. Yeah, and so, and, and empty ones littered in his front seat. So that, any any, you know. any uh, uh, Big East fans here have a lot of reasons to to punch Huggins, oh. and, and uh, we're finally like getting it. I know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's too late for the transfer portal, but oh, maybe there's anyway. And then I got another punch too. The MLB commissioner, Rob Manfred, completely out of touch. I mean, this guy, whenever he opens his mouth, it's bad. But you know, he was asked about in Oakland. These guys, these poor fans of the A's, are losing their team probably. And one of the big problems is they can't get a new stadium deal worked out. And, you know, the Major League Baseball wants to blame the city and nobody wants to take responsibility for it. Well, the fans had a reverse boycott and they had 27,000 people show up at the Coliseum to prove there's a fan base there. And uh, and Manfred, when asked about it, said, yeah, it was great to see what's basically an average crowd at most MLB facilities. There. Oh, my God. I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah. He says that's really great. So, I mean, this guy, you know, he could have said, you know, look, we we understand this is going to be hard. We're, we're still trying to work it out. Any, anything, anything except mocking the people who are losing their team, who are the real fans of this team who showed up. Uh, Manfred, you get a punch. God, will you please just leave baseball alone, you piece of shit? Um, oh, okay. Baseball. God, Okay. That's it on punches, unless anyone's got another one. Never lets us down. How about a lasso, Rooster? Barbecue sauce. Yeah, I have what I think is a nice uh, lasso and one that's very pertinent to our show. No, you um, said a great lasso. Okay, so it's a great lasso. It's a pressure. It, it's a. It, it's a Excellent lasso. All right. You know, you know, we recently covered the uh, horrible racism that black footballers have experienced in La Liga, which is Spain's premier soccer league. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the Shorty Awards recently, which the Shorty Awards honor the best people in social media and digital, um, you know, short stories, basically. So La Liga recently teamed up with ESPN and Scape, which we're familiar with, and Black Arrow FC to create a series um, to shine a light on the black players of La Liga. And this and the series was called Black Stars of La Liga. And last last week, the series won the 2023 Hashtag Sports Award for Excellence in Black Storytelling for the series black stars of la liga well the executive producer of that show was none other than our pal jerry bembry's daughter wow ashley oh, ashley awesome. marie bembry kane took um and she has just been killing it lately i mean i've followed her she's done some really nice pieces uh over over time um as a as a unit producer for espm films and she's just really put on some good things. I think they did a, a a nice story on 
black hockey players at one point, like PK Subban. They, she did that cop and state documentary. Oh yeah. Um, I think maybe earlier this year or last year. In any event, I just wanted to congratulate the fr- our friend of the show, Jerry Bembry, on the massive success of his daughter Ashley Murray. That is a good one. Uh, that that's a that's a really good one. That's worthy yep. of the hype you gave it. Yep. <laughs> I thought you guys would like that. Yeah, I like it a lot. All right. How about buzzer beaters? I have one. Um I'm interested to see whether this is one step forward, two steps back, or something like that, whatever the expression is for US men's soccer. The good news is they had a resounding championship run through the CONCACAF Nations League. All of the surrounding North American and related countries are two nearest rivals now, not just geographically, but in terms of style of play and not style of play, quality of play over here are Mexico and Canada. And we ran through them with the young guns that are sure to be the 2026 World Cup team. Uh, it, they They looked awesome. The bad news is in the middle of the semifinal game, they announced that they were bringing back none other than Greg Berhalter, who you might recognize mm. was the coach of the World Cup team. That while we were happy with some moments during that World Cup to get out of group play, overall, there were a lot of problems, including serious problems with the potential future star in Gio Reyna, who we've covered on this pod. Yep. And the people in all over social media, just in the soccer community, are scratching their heads today. Uh, and this past few days about really us us men's soccer spent a ton of money to go out on a candidate search and the person that they hired in their candidate search was the person that they fired from the world cup it's so weird and i hope they, it doesn't end up being they claim they considered 200 candidates I find that hard to believe and after 200 people they went back to the guy that they had to fire because it they didn't i mean it's just so weird so was, I was, he, was he technically fired or did they just kind of put him on leave? Yeah, they they well, it's a good question what they would label it, but he definitely wasn't their coach anymore because they've had right. a different coach. In fact, this guy BJ Callahan that just coached them, you know, he's been with the team for the last few weeks. They look fantastic. I don't know if it's responsibility of the players or him, but I don't know. I hope that I hope that this they don't go back backwards. I mean, I think there was some thought that he got railroaded unfairly and because of that, after the investigation was over, they're like, we don't have any any real reason to deny him the opportunity to coach the team again after he did such a good job with the World Cup. They hired him without he's he's not even talked to those players where there was problems with. I right. mean, I, I'd, li- I'd at least like to see like, yeah, we've mended fences. Things are better. I don't know. I, I hope it's the right, right move. It's not a very popular move so far. All right. Any more buzzer beaters? I got a couple. I have a quick one. Remember when we gave the punch to Matt Ishbia for interfering with Jokic, who was trying oh, to yeah. get the ball back in bounds? Yeah. And remember, I was oh, saying, yeah. why in the world is Isaiah Thomas standing there helping him <laughs> grab Jokic? Well, Chris Paul just said today that he thinks Isaiah Thomas played a role in him getting traded from the Suns. So, it, man, if that if if Ishbia brings Isaiah on in some sort of an executive role, bad fucking news for the Suns. That's all I have to say. Wow. 
Yeah, apparently ran, he's one of his he, go-to consultants. He practically destroyed the the Knicks for forever. Yeah. Pope, you got one? Pope, buzzer beater? I think he's frozen. Pope, Pope, his, Pope. His, his eyes right. are moving, but, he, I but his, his lips aren't. <laughs> I, got, I got a couple. Number one. I mean, the, the, I, I guess my only buzzer beater is that we'll, I look forward to talking passing, about you, Major you League. You beat the buzzer. Major League Baseball. You didn't beat yeah. the buzzer. Somehow the Rangers continue to, to uh, separate between the Astros. All right, a couple quick ones. Uh, the Montreal Grand Prix, Max Verstappen continues his barnstorming Ooh. through uh, through the F1 schedule. But two weeks in a row, we've seen Lewis Hamilton on the podium. That's kind of yeah. exciting. And yeah. it's, it makes you optimistic for next season. Maybe Mercedes has it figured out and is getting closer. And Fernando Alonso came in second, continues to just drive uh, incredibly well. Uh, the, Santio, the Santio Grand Prix. Uh, oh, does anybody know where Road of America is? It's in Pontiac, Michigan. Somewhere in America. It's in Wisconsin. Uh, Alex Palau won. Uh, Scott Dixon had a blow up with Will Power. Not to be outdone, Scott Dixon had a blow up with Pat Award. And um, it was uh, a lot of fun on there. There's definitely a little more NASCAR to those drivers than uh, the very polite uh, F1 guys. And then the last um, buzzer beater for me is the College World Series. Milk mentioned it. Last week, it's in full effect. Uh, bracket one, I think I got this right. Florida has no losses. TCU has one loss. Oral Roberts has one loss. Virginia's out. And in bracket two, Wake Forest has no losses. LSU has no losses. Tennessee has one loss. And Stanford is out. So we're in the thick of the College World Series. Uh, and we have games coming up, Tennessee. I don't know. I know that that must be over. I don't know. We there's games starting now and it's crazy and it's, you know, double elimination and all that. So I think, keep I watching. think Pope, Pope's frozen, but I think he said, go oral. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why he's been staying See, up at night. That's why he stays up at night worrying about. <laughs> oh dick. my God. All right. That's <laughs> enough. That is all right. Guys, anything else? <laughs> SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, 
and who roots for teams from New York or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.